Hi there, I'm Haley. And I'm Johnny. And you're listening to Johnny, Johnny Haley, Haley, Day, Day of, of Fun. Who do we have on today? I don't know. Let's dive in and find out. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Johnny Haley Day of Fun podcast. Today, we are joined by Olkin McSparren and from Northern Ireland. Super exciting with Coins and Serpent Productions. Hello, and thanks for joining us. No, thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Haley, for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Super excited. So let's get started with. So uh, I found it a little bit interesting that your background is in law but you are a filmmaker. So how do those two things go together for you? How'd you, how'd you come to be putting together law and filmmaking? Yeah. Um, so pretty much I, well, I did movie making in secondary school, high school, um, as it would be in the United States. Um, yeah. where we, had a, we had an A level, which was called moving image arts. And I'd always fancied making B movies whenever I was in school. And then from moving image, we had an opportunity for this to be actually graded. So, I came to the conclusion, okay, so there's an A-level, which is going to let me make movies. I would quite like to do that. And so I came up with ideas to which um, my teacher told me you would need a multi-million dollar budget to make as movies. I chose to disagree and go ahead anyway. Um, so, Good yeah. for you. Don't so, listen to the ones who say you need all the money first to figure uh, it out. Uh -huh. Well, to be honest, he was a fantastic man. He really did help and encourage all the films. But um, I do remember I made one, which was an animation, which was uh, sort of, it was supposed to be a kind of Ray Harryhausen-esque animation of prehistoric life coming to life. And this was a bit of a nightmare for us to get done on time. And in the end, we had the armatures of like the fully fledged creatures, but the finished film was still very fun. I did another, which was King Arthur kind of retold. So we had a little aspect of the story of Merlin going to meet uh, the Lady of the Lake and get Excalibur. And so we did that and that was told in a minute and a half. And my, me and my family went to Ackle Island on holiday and pretty much over two days just filmed in all the mountains and kind of scenic bits of Ackle, little shots of me and my dad dressed as wizards essentially doing this. That's <laughs> so much fun. Oh my yeah. gosh, I love that your dad is like totally getting in on it too. Uh -huh. The Lady of the Lake was actually my mom holding up a toy Lord of the Rings sword, which we got, and then on a <laughs> background. So this sword looked absolutely brilliant. In actuality, it was about $5 from eBay, I think we got it from, and it was just made of plastic, but in the silhouette, you could not fail. That's um, brilliant, though. I love that's the thing I love about indie filmmaking is that you have to get creative with because you are on a low budget, right? You have to get creative with how you're actually shooting it and, and still creating a quality, like something that you feel good about, right? Even though you're using something that was $5 off of eBay. Yeah. Then after that, we made a few more. There was one which was Blue Scream, which um, despite I watch it back and I really enjoy it, is a truly woeful film, but it was really fun to make at the time. And then we kind of did spaceships, we did lava, we did I love it. every special effect I could kind of think of under the sun. And then uh, I went to university and I was kind of debating would I study film or not. And I think it was under the advice of my parents. They kind of said, do something else first, which kind of would build you academically and kind of build your mind. So I did a history and politics degree. And um, after having to redo my A-levels, um, after I not got the grades I wanted to get the university I wanted to go to. And it was in my second year. I was doing a radio play with some friends of A Christmas Carol. And I mentioned to a very good friend of mine that um, one night after debating society in a pub uh, in a pub in town that I wanted to do a film, but I was not very good at doing audio recording with films and I had real difficulty, but was good with a camera. And so they messaged um, into a group called Media Therapy Group. It's a Facebook group, which a lot of people in Ireland who are creatives would be on. That this man called oh, cool. Bard is making a film and he needs someone to do side. And I got messaged by a girl called Chantal, who's just amazing with side. She was doing this as a degree and said she would like to work with me on the film. Now, the film I was making lacked certain things to make a film at that stage, um, notably a script. Um, so I had a rough idea of what I was going to do. 
And so I agreed to meet Chantal for a coffee and said, look, Chantal, the truth is I'm finishing up a radio play. Maybe in February time, I'll be ready to get ready for this film. And uh, pretty much from there, we then, um, I started writing the script. So kind of over Christmas and then in January, I kind of worked on the script before university really started up again. And then uh, I had a 20 page script finished. And then my dad came up with another idea for the film and said, and then I was like, okay, so it'll be 25 minutes. And he said, you know, I'll can maybe make it a little bit longer. And then I was like, okay, wrote another scene. It came to 30 minutes. Then my mom, who's brilliant at coming up with ideas, said, here, I've got a couple of ideas. And suddenly it was about an hour long, this little film that was supposed to be 15 that was great, minutes though. long. With an hour long script. And uh, what do you call it? Um, what, what then happened was, is that it was supposed to be an adaptation of Julius Caesar done in the modern day as a cropped gangster and my mom said oh well there have been too many gangster films done do it as a cropped politician and just move them into the modern day <laughs> oh so this didn't actually involve much changing of the script but was probably the best suggestion that was made wasn't isn't it? that kind of fun it's not a oh, lot of change from gangster to modern day politics. politician I uh, know the irony, the irony of that. And so what we did kind of, I wanted to make it very clear whenever I was doing Rubicon that although it was Julius Caesar, so there are passing similarities to a lot of big political events such as Brexit in the UK, the Trump 2016 election, but it is not giving a commentary on any of those events. It is a story of Caesar, but to not acknowledge that there are not similarities and putting them in the modern political context would be in i think it would be insane to not acknowledge the similarities but when there's like analogy to caesar and trump or boris johnson that is actually not intentional it's just the general critique of politicians really manipulating electorates and trying to not have a limit on ambition which was what um yeah. really going for with it. it is a story about julius caesar fundamentally and um we did the film and so it came to casting the film, the script was put on media therapy group. And I said, it's for free thinking no one would get in touch about acting in this at all. And boy, was I wrong. Um, That's so great though. And it's great. Like, you know, John and I, we kind of talk about this a little bit too, like just being kind of a DIY situation, you know, we do all the editing, all the posting, all of that. And it would be great to have extra help with that. Like, it's yeah. really great that you have places where you can put your stuff out there and say, hey, I'm working on this is this thing that we're mm -hmm. building. We don't necessarily have a budget for it, but come and join us. And I think it really is great that you see there's a lot of creative people out there who want to join in and dive in and help you with a project, even if oh. it's not necessarily for pay, but just for the sake of of the art of it. No, well, that was what was so phenomenal. I mean, we had auditions and I mean, like some of the people I met on day one of the audition, I would have worked with on subsequent films and would actually, if I was doing, you know, a charity fundraiser for a local cause or something, would always come around and call alone. So you've got that kind of amazing connection where you meet people on a film and, you know, they're, they do become lifelong friends and they do become people you can drop a message and say, hey, I was wondering, would you be interested in attending this? And you can kind of pick up immediately where you left off. And I think that that's really one of the things I love about films so much is that you do get talking to so many people and just meet people from so many walks of life and with so many stories. I mean, one of the actors that mainly cast as Julius Caesar in the end, Frank Cannon, who currently lives in the United States, uh, he was um he was a he was a he was fantastic to work with. But one of the current one of the frequent occurrences on set was uh inevitably me and Frank would get talking and telling stories to one another and then Chantal would go whenever we were inside. Uh, guys, we've got to keep filming and we'd be like, yes, back to work. Stay on it's task. Good. You always got to have yeah. somebody who's keeping you on task a little bit, and, right? Yeah, we, we needed to tap the task a lot. And so from Rubicon, that was just the kind of first big film and it came in at 50 minutes. And um, we held a premiere just before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, which was in Queen's University. And that was uh, raising funds. Every ticket we charged five pounds for and the funds uh, we raised went to a local homeless charity. And I think we raised over £550 approximately. I can't quite remember. Off the I thought it was really head. great, though. Mm -hmm. um, so it was good that something better than the film came from the film, that we were able to do that. And really what I found from it was just it was amazing having people involved and being able to just keep making movies. And from there, we've I've worked and made several other films and just, you know, 
working on a feature at the minute, which I mean, I'm in the complete, um, hopefully by the end of, hopefully by the end of this month, although more than likely halfway through next month, um, then I'm hoping to start filming where I'll, where I will be in, uh, New York for a period of time, filming in New York, it's a lot I'm working on at the minute. So that will hopefully be in June, July, a period. That's really exciting. So what, what are you working on right now for what, what's the project that you're doing? If you can talk, I mean, obviously don't want you to be giving away too much no, stuff no. if you. No, that's grand. Yeah. So the current film is completely shot. Um, we did our last final pickup last week, um, which was just some scenes which were mostly completed in the edit, but we needed a couple of shots we'd missed and a couple of bits to piece things together. And that is a low budget crime caper about a group of small time criminals who commit a theft of one priceless painting and of, uh, and of, uh, of, of a several million pound. And they commit a robbery, which goes disastrously wrong and then make it their safe house where in a kind of reservoir dogs, but more kind of fifties, uh, fifties English crime story kind of vibe. They start to pick one another off one by one and they get various letter hearing who the person who hired them is, is amongst them. Little do they realize they're all getting played by the actual head of this organization they've got involved with. And um, gradually it becomes apparent that they are, but it's too late for them and they are doomed after the disaster of a robbery. Would you call, so do you have any elements of like comic relief in any of this or is this all more from a a drama perspective? Like what, how would you put like the vibe or the flavor of, of the film? I would say it's, I would say it's a drama, but it's a drama with moments where you're laughing, but you don't feel like you should be laughing but you can't help yourself. It's a bit Oh, but those are some of my favorites. A little bit of that like morbid dark humor. A bit always sunny in Philadelphia when you laugh, but you don't feel good about yourself. I like that though. I love always sunny. That's so perfect. Yeah, at those moments. I think that's kind of what we've got with it. Now, I'm hoping it's succeeded in being a comedy. Um, If not, a quick rebranding of it as a drama will be... Well, we come before it goes out. But like, I, yeah. I love a dark comedy, so I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see yeah. this. So um, I've got the trailer for that on my LinkedIn, I believe, um, which uh, which you can view anytime you want. And if anyone watching the podcast wants yeah, to. Yeah, we'll do. definitely link it in the description, too, so people can check it out. Um, they want to see. That would be fantastic. And um, the, real, the real kind of aim with it is to do a film which um, does achieve that. And I mean, it was made on a micro budget. I mean, I think we're talking maybe about under two thousand dollars was spent on it and that was you know paying actors just a wee bit of like thank you money for coming along helping out mm-hmm. and you know food on the day which really was a series of microwave pizzas um like uh and uh, and juice so it really was just kind of i mean again though that's so great it's one of those things that i that's why we really love to talk to people like you because there's so yeah, much sure. great Great work being done, unique project, something different. And and I think it's, I think, and John and I, again, we've talked about this too, that, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like people are hungry for more than just what Hollywood thinks is worth putting yeah. into a big budget, right? Yeah. We're, we're all getting tired of the reboots. We're all getting tired of seeing the same characters and the same storylines. You know, we want something unique and something different. And so, uh-huh. like, it's so great that people like you are out there getting together and, and I mean, under $2,000 budget, but you're still making a film. And it's so great that there are so many people willing to jump in and, and be a part of it. Uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say, like, I think Netflix and all these, all these uh, kind of, you know. Streaming services. Streaming services kind of make it pretty possible for ideas that really wouldn't shine in Hollywood or whatever, in these big budget or whatever. There's a lot of indie films that are really doing well. You know what I mean? Like it, so it's like, I guess, how do you, how do you find your own route in that? You know what I mean? Like, how do you decide what kind of movie you're going to make and like how you're going to capture people and like what kind of media it's going to be put out? I guess that's my question. Yeah. I mean, like when it comes to me personally, Mm -hmm. I'm not a filmmaker that is particularly picky about what films I watch. I will, I'm as comfortable watching something that's incredibly artsy and it's incredibly like, you know, you're kind of going, you're, you're noticing the camera angles and you're noticing the acting 
I can watch those films and completely enjoy them. And in equal measure, I can sit down and I can watch a mainstream Hollywood movie and enjoy mm -hmm. it. And I think some filmmakers really struggle to like actually separate all their knowledge from watching a movie. I've always been quite glad that I've never had a problem if I can sit down and watch a movie yeah. or like watch the same TV show I've seen a hundred times before and just kind of like take away like anything I know about tracking shots or anything I know about mm -hmm. blocking in the situation just go that's really enjoyable and just view it as a viewer and I kind of feel I feel glad I can do that when it comes to the kind of current state of Hollywood and making a career in it you know um one of the things I found and I think it's kind of mantra the older I get and like the more I realize I'm only 26 so I'll be talking like I'm an old man here but <laughs> It's all but, right. We're in an age when age really doesn't matter because we all have access yeah. to so much of the same things to be able to connect to each other, right? No, 100%. I mean, that's one of the things from making films I've found out is that, you know, you can be on a film set and your best friend's 55 and you're 26. And, like, you yeah. know, and it doesn't fun. matter. You can still find things to talk about, right? And it's, yeah. I think yeah. it's a great thing about the internet and, and having access to streaming services and mm -hmm. things like that is that like you can talk about a lot of the same movies, even though you might be a, of different generations, right? Because we have access to all the music, mm -hmm. movies, pop culture, things that you might talk about with someone who's of a different age than you. It's So you have the ability to have conversations and communicate in ways that, you know, before the internet and before things like this, you might not have. Well, no, that's, that's 100%. Uh, what I would say without what I would say. And I think that it kind of, the thing is, whenever you've got such a wide platform, like we do nowadays, it means it's very easy to get, you know, your work lost. And I think that, you know, that's why you do want to try and go down a still kind of traditional industry route where you get talking to people who have access to, you know, a bigger audience, have access to getting you shown. But when it comes to getting your work to that place, I think that, you know, I think that, um, there's, if you've ever seen the movie, the finder, and um it's the very end ray croft gives a speech um and he goes uh how did i make a fast food empire and he says you know despite you know some despite ray croft and uh, despite ray croft and the founder telling a story of him which paints a very mixed picture of me they'll say the words persistence just endless persistence and continuing to go uh go after your dream is one of the things that really does make success and i think stephen king had written five novels and had, um had thousands of rejection letters from short story company and had had thousands of and had thousands of like um novel rejection before Carrie came out and then it was obviously a massive success so I think this idea of overnight success is a bit of a myth it actually takes a long long time and you've maybe got to be prepared for the fact I'm very prepared for the fact that I'll have this film Peter completed I'll have Rubicon completed several shorts and it doesn't mean I'm suddenly going to get even a small budget after I might need to make a few more low-budget films and I think making low-budget features is really how I'm trying to distinguish myself from a very competitive field but I think yeah. well, I think as well as just that it is that kind of mantra if you keep making films and you know you actually start to get them out there in the more festivals and also start talking and, and you know talking to people like you but also talking to producers talking to people um talking to executive producers talking to film financers and mm -hmm. You might be going into a meeting and to be 100% honest, you might not know 100% of what you're 100% of the industry because you just couldn't know it without being in it. But if you go as a young professional into something and show it, say, look, I'm passionate, I'm re ready to work, I've shown dedication to this. And, you know, I'm very fortunate because I have done a history and politics degree and a law degree that I can show that I can be professional outside of just a movie making capacity that you can go and get that funding and get that thing made. And I think. You know, I would hate to be a filmmaker with all the best ideas on the planet and not get anything made and would rather get 60% of the stuff I would love to get made, made. And yeah. Stuff not made, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does. And, yeah. I, you know, it's kind of part of, uh, I'm definitely in that same boat with you too. I mean, just with all the things we're doing with podcasting and, you know, I'm a writer too. I write short fiction and, and I have a lot of like movie ideas that I've got like kind of outlines for. It, it's that thing of just keeping mm -hmm. on creating and keep on you know putting your stuff out there and keep making things and you'll find the right people and you'll meet the right people to be part of your projects it's like just follow your bliss and follow your passion and you will end up in the right circles in the right places right you know it's just about keeping on keeping on because it's it's who you are to create yeah no that's that's 100 uh 
what I would say um, when it comes to when it comes to creative endeavors. And I think that there's a lot of it. There's a lot of the time a kind of stereotype of the creative, which is this kind of figure, which is you know long coat, a kind of a long coat, pen in hand, and sort of writing something out. And that's an aesthetic look. The actual reality of yeah. creative. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like you know, you come in from having done a twelve-hour shift in work, and you've got to you know you know you've got to eat something, then you've got to go to the, you've got to go to the gym, then you've got to go back, and then you've got to just sit down and even if you're exhausted, write four or five mm. something and get them on the paper. And you might read them the next day and they're rubbish, but it's that kind of getting there and actually writing it or sitting down with your movie and going, look, I can't get everything edited, but I can maybe get 30, to 30 seconds to a minute. Looks mm-hmm. Yes. And get that ready and done. <laughs> that kind of just attitude. And I mean, partly why I like doing no budget features is that people can do shorts and I think shorts are absolutely brilliant. I think some of the greatest films that you'll ever see are shorts, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, in the modern era where you can pick up a camera, which, you know, in camera, which in old Hollywood, that would have been like thinking what they would have thought was some piece of science fiction technology and you can buy a microphone, and just need to go and get people down, write a script and shoot it. And then you can make a feature film. It's the, you know, this idea you can't do that anymore is just a myth and people say you need budget and you know yeah. you need budget but like if you put your mind to it and you're really dedicated to doing that i think that everyone can find that time and can get that film made and even though it might take you you know you might make a go i'll have this released on february 20th and it might be it doesn't get done till march 20th just with real life getting in the way the fact that you've sat and made it and maybe can't be in a schedule doesn't matter i would rather it was done than it was not that it was just something that was always talked about. John and I talk about yeah. that too. There's such a thing as good enough, you mm-hmm. know, like there's such a thing as just put it out there and be done with it and move on to the next project. Like you can't overthink things and, and be a perfectionist about it. Yeah. You can't wait until you have like exactly the right person for this role or, or whatever it is. Right. Like, there is such a thing as as just do it and get it done and have a project and put it out there. It's not that you don't want it to be good quality. Obviously, you do, but you mm-hmm. can't you can't measure yourself by you know standards of like Hollywood, for example, right? Like you you can't put yourself up against everybody else. Like you have to just consider your own work and your own passion about it, and and just you know let it be what it is, and and be yeah. proud that you got it out there. Well, I think that's one of the things that I say when something goes wrong in the film. Uh, a lot of people go, oh my God, something's went wrong. And I try not to get into that mindset and try to get into a mindset of, well, that's an opportunity for us to do the film differently than how we were supposed to. Um, one day in Rubicon, we had this room booked in the Titanic Hotel in Belfast, which gave us a room at an amazing discount because I uh, begged and pleaded and said I was a student filmmaker. <laughs> on the phone and they, however you gotta get extra help man do it i'm about it you're up they took a bit of a shine uh shine the production so we got this office which was just lovely and we had two cameras there so this was one of the days we had two cameras which was really good we were doing two scenes one scene was the end scene of the film and one scene was near the beginning of the film where the office was occupied initially by pompey magnus who was um a rival of julius caesar and at the mm-hmm. end the same office is occupied by Mark Anthony and his new cabinet. And Mark Anthony kind of knows that he's ascended the power after Caesar's um, Caesar's been assassinated. And so we had this room and we had one of our actors who was supposed to have a very big part of this scene. And uh, he was unable to attend due to a last minute mix up. And so one of the main characters could not make this scene. I remember going, right. How are you going to fix this? All right. So we had one of the other actors who was really just a bit part in that scene, but had bigger parts later in the film. And I said, Tony, who I've actually worked on in every single film I've done ever since. Um, oh, very nice. Tony, would you be able to do the lines that are for this other character? And Tony said yes, but he didn't know the lines for the other character and only knew when his mark was. To which I said, right, that's the script. This is a binder. This looks like you've got government documents here. Mm-hmm. Going to read these and you're going to keep making notes like you're making notes on what Pompey's saying and then just reply the line you've read a minute before. 
and this worked remarkably well. And then this allowed us to actually have Tony's character, um, the Simeus, have a lot more context to them. And then I realized one of the big flaws was that the Simeus, the character we named him, I just picked a random Roman senator who had been involved in Caesar's assassination. Why would he be in Mark Antony's cabinet after, um, after having killed Caesar, Mark Antony's closest ally? And I really panicked because his name had been said multiple times in the film and did a bit more reading and found out that the actual Roman senator had saw what way the wind was blowing after having killed Caesar and jumped shit to Mark Antony's cabinet. So, which is again <laughs> another sort of like that's a, absolutely you, you would see that happen today. That's not outside of the realm of political theater that we see no, in our, no, no. our yeah. No, it's, it's really not outside the realm of political theater that we see today. But that was just a happy accident. And then the other actor who's played Cassius actually got a new scene done that just his character separately, and this worked complete charm and really just brought the film completely together in a way that it wouldn't otherwise have done. And it was just a series of complete flukes that you couldn't, you couldn't have planned any mm-hmm. of that happen that way. I yeah. love that though. That's one of my favorite things when the universe just lines things up in an unexpected way. You think something's gone wrong, but it's actually the thing that's gone very right, right. for you. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's brilliant. No, it's brilliant. I agree with you. Yeah. I was going to ask, mm-hmm. who is your biggest influence as far as like, the way you film something like do you have a director or just a filmmaker that you draw a lot of influence from as far as like the way you film or like the way you bring like suspense to anything you know you know what i mean the way you draw emotion yeah um so i kind of have like multiple um directors which is one of the which which is why i'm gonna try and make this answer not ridiculously long but um do we all have it, it no go for it we all have <laughs> multiple sources that we draw from so yeah who are who are your favorites no fair i mean like i know it's like probably one of the most common film making answers but like i would have to say steven spielberg's work and when it comes to watching a spielberg film his level of craftsmanship with how he moves a camera how he blocks a scene how he does lighting how he manages to do that and keep an audience completely engaged with the film and somehow do all of this incredible artwork without making it overly noticeable he's doing this incredible artwork. Mm-hmm. I just find that ability to completely immerse your audience like that whilst simultaneously pulling off some of the most complicated camera techniques and complicated block and complicated storytelling. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I find that amazing. He is like an absolute unparalleled master at it. And I mean, like, I mean, I, I'm kind of one of those people, anytime I've met a celebrity, I've tried to, you know, not like go for the kind of celebrity like oh my god that's such and such celebrity <laughs> it be would be the exception if i'm not like, oh yeah. my god. You, know, you are like the, the that would be a, that would be the fanboy moment right that probably would be my fanboy moment yeah. Um, yeah um i would say you know as well as that stanley kubrick is just a massive influence yeah. on personally um i particularly love stanley kubrick stills work that he does and um, particularly the set of photos in the 1950s in a collection which i I've had a bit of a brain freeze here, but it's absolutely amazing just of uh, photography around New York that he does, um, mm-hmm. black and white. I particularly like, um, particularly like where he does a lot of his work, which is like a stills photograph, which has come to life. I really love the way he does that. And I kind of... I think it's Kubrick who, um, you know, you talk about being just just making as much work as you can kind of and, and how you... Even if 60% of it is what you get out, it's better than nothing. Uh, Kubrick, I'm pretty sure it's him that I'm thinking of, that when he died, his house was like full of like scripts he had written that were never made into movies and just like mass amounts of of all Mm -hmm. this creative work that like never went public, that like he was just continuously, continuously creating and creating and creating and just mass amounts of unpublicized work that he had just in his house. Yeah, no, I would, I would, I would say, I, I think that is true. I think one of the things with Kubrick, they say is he was perfectionist and he would do scenes, sometimes hundreds of takes on a scene. Yeah. I never had that luxury. Um, for the good of my cast and crew, it's probably for the best. Uh, right. They're probably glad that you can't yeah. just keep them there I, forever and be a slave I, driver. But I don't have that luxury. Um, yeah, but I think that kind of aspect of Kubrick and I think, you know, just sometimes whenever you look at his films, they're just like, so it's like painting and they're just absolutely beautiful. I kind of, 
I kind of really like early Kubrick films. A lot of people really focus on like The Shining, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, Face Odyssey. Face Odyssey and his later work. And I absolutely love those films. But actually my favorite Kubrick, Kubrick film is probably um, Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Home. And I think okay. Kubrick is probably, it's a, is, it's a movie which has an amazing message behind of like, you know, America and Russia are going to have to, you know, start to work together to stop the entire world getting blown up and mm-hmm. trying to on. And as well as that, although it takes this incredibly serious situation of nuclear war and global destruction and turns it into a comedy. And to me, that is just an unbelievable skill that's able to take this. And, you know, the general getting told about this situation whilst he's there having an affair and then it's in the bathroom and he's like, wait, what? Like that? <laughs> just like, if, if you knew that was actually happening in real life, you would go, oh my God. And you would kind of laugh. Not and you would, life. but it's, it is real life, right? Like that's kind of how things happen in this human ride. It's ridiculous and outrageous and you have to laugh because otherwise what would you do? It's, it, you, yeah. you have to break the stress somehow of the ridiculous situation you find yourself in. I think, I think I, I personally love Spartacus as well. And I know it's probably the most Hollywood right. villain, but I actually love it because I kind of look at it as Kubrick is, you know, having his creativity limited here. And I sometimes think when a creative has their creativity limited, that's sometimes whenever they're their most creative. And I think mm-hmm. with Spartacus, him and Kirk Douglas, despite, you know, there having been, you know, issues when they were on set with what ideas they wanted to do, you can actually see where a really good project comes together there which i would say is really a very flawless movie and i think that you know not whilst not being a typical kubrick production a much more mainstream hollywood at the time i think it's probably the absolute pinnacle of mainstream hollywood at the time yeah yeah production value the shots um and then people in more traditional kubrick house of glory from that time which i think is just uh, it's just a fantastic war story which kind of highlights just you know i think you know it's very hard to make a war film without, you know, doing a glamorization sequence or something like that. It makes a war film which actually does do an action sequence but is in no way glamorized and actually does a story where a group of innocent men are going to get killed and for no seeing reason mm-hmm. whatsoever because there's no way they could have taken that might. And I think that that's just a fascinating, I just think it's a fascinating um, examination of the humanity and power of people interact and shows one man's personal struggle in that situation and i just think that that is really i think it's a very deep film a bit of a forgotten about film actually that maybe we should look at again because it really does show that how one person is one person's agency can be very limited or one person's agency can be exceptionally powerful and that's just fascinating it's a i mean again it the parallels between films and, and actual human existence. It's, you know, looking at, at war in general, right? If you, you mm-hmm. can break it down and you can bring it into this like very intimate scene and you can get that really profound message of this is, it, it's really emotional when you're in that little tiny pocket of what's going on. But mm-hmm. it is still true that, well, what is the sense of any of this that we're doing? None of these people deserve to die that are going to war. And, and mm-hmm. for what? For for certain personalities of other humans who some of them are in power, some of them have the ability to say, you go to war and you do this. And, and how many people are just, I don't know if you want to say a pawn necessarily, but people who are just trying to exist in this world and you get caught up in a situation and you, it, you're just, it's kind of the idea even of... Um, if you want to go to like World War II and Nazis commanders who are just doing what they're told yeah. because it's what they're told to do, right? Just looking at the humanity of the situation of that when it from a really close up view, right? That all these senseless things that we do, like war and killing each other, and and where is the reason in it? And if you can like get people to understand that from a very close up view of it, mm-hmm. it helps you to be able to extrapolate that out to the larger picture. No, I yeah. think I think I think that's what Kubrick um, has done very well there an incredibly broad topic such as the first world war and decisions being made and yet somehow made that story personal um, mm-hmm. and the Nazi war theme which you know is just a remarkably different difficult story to tell and to tell that in a book form would be difficult to tell that in a film form in an hour and 40 minutes is nearly impossible but he achieves it with paths of glory 
uh, very well. Um, I would probably say the kind of last filmmaker I would really kind of touch on would be a filmmaker called Roger Corman, who's kind of seen as the king of low budget features. And I think what I love about Roger Corman is probably that mantra that he had of he was just going to make as many films as possible and make the films that he wanted to see. And mm-hmm. I just admire the films that he directed and produced so much. And I think with that, you know, that that idea that he was like in Hollywood and he just started going, you know, something I'm just going to go and make myself and just went and made it himself in the 50s, 60s through the about the 90s. I think he still produces quite a few. And if he, if he ever watches this podcast and wants to work with a young filmmaker, he wouldn't mind. Uh, wouldn't mind a couple yeah, of things around. Roger, what you call it? And that, uh, that, that kind of ability just to go out and make films and produce films. I mean, I watched one a wee while back with a very young Sylvester Stallone, which he produced Death Race 2000, which is just the most bonkers idea of a race across America. Uh, mm-hmm. People uh, kind of like in a kind of Hunger Games-esque style compared okay. to one yep. over it's truly bizarre i really recommend it it's just so nuts i mean like no studio would have made this film because they would have said no one's going to watch this but you watch it and it's the single most enjoyable film and i mean mm-hmm. he produced it and i mean that fact that he just read this bonkers idea and went you know something yeah we're gonna go with it and go with that and there's this film at the end it's just it's just amazing to me so i'd say roger corman and i mean there's there are other big influences you know, George Lucas, Ray Harryhausen, mm-hmm. Tim Burton, James Cameron. Love uh, Tim Burton. If you're going further back in time, you know, Cecil B. DeMille's kind of biblical epics. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not yep. a very old school kind of biblical epics and a very like old, old Hollywood. They're still just, you know, you're watching these like, enormous, like the kind of scenes put on screen and you're kind of going like, whoa. And this is like, you know, this trick of the camera. This is just like five thousand people planted in the desert in costume yeah massive amounts of extras and like sometimes that is really fun to watch with those old films the amount of production that went into recreating some of the you know we think right now the cgi stuff we see is so amazing and so incredible and it's like no that's kind of pretty easy to pop in five thousand people if you're doing it with a computer rather than actually trying to organize five thousand people or extras no i mean i i we me and my mom watched the ten commandments the 1950s one recently with charlton heston and Mm -hmm. it's phenomenal and then we decided you know something we'll put on the 1923 ten commandments to see what it's like and um, he started reading on the news that then the actual, um, I think it's like a sort of like um, Egyptian pharaoh's like statue, which was about a hundred foot high that was constructed. Uh, Cecil B. the Mill had buried in the desert in Arizona. So it would become almost like a piece of archaeology. And it was recently on earth by mm-hmm. archaeologists. And I just find that fascinating that these films have actually become part of history and that they had the foresight to go, look, let's actually just leave the remains there. There was also the very practical economic reason I then read to stop another studio going, hey, they left out there and going and filming. But, <laughs> yeah. but I just find that amazing that, 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 that those films were made. Um, Kier Kurosawa's work is absolutely phenomenal as well. And I think an often overlooked uh, filmmaker is David Lean, who is kind of, would be one of these filmmakers, which I think a lot of filmmaking people would talk about, but the general mm-hmm. public is somewhat forgotten. But I mean, like, he is just the most in- incredible Royster films. I mean, Lawrence of Arabia is the big iconic mm-hmm. David Lean film. And I think if anyone who's serious about film has to watch Lawrence of Arabia yeah. point in their film making career. But I would say like, you know, you've got Ryan's daughter, Passage to India, you've got his murder Oliver Twist, which is really underrated. Mm-hmm. Um I always I always maintain it's probably the definitive version. Um people don't give it the credit, which is due. Um you've also just got Bridge in the River Kwai. And you've got you've got Doctor Zhivago too, and it's just this amazing ability. A bit like Kubrick, then like there's not one frame of those films which you would not be happy to put as a painting on your wall or put as a picture on your wall. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and I love some of that the aesthetic of old school film that was actually shot on film, right? Like as Uh much as digital can do a lot of things these days, the aesthetic of something that is shot on film stock has a different look to it. And I love that you said bridge on the river quiet, because I love to bring up to Johnny all the time that I had. So (laughs) I had 
I went to school for <laughs> film and I would like in my day job, I made a reference to bridge on the river Kwai that was kind of a little bit of a joke. And it came to like dead ears. Nobody knew what I was talking about. And I was like, oh, whoops, I guess, you know, pre pretentious film school. Haley just came out and made a reference that nobody knows. <laughs> like, you whoops. know. One of the things, like, you know, I, I would argue that's not pretentious film school, Kaylee. However, I would say that that's kind of like, I would say that that's, you know, like your thing you're in. I remember there was one time we were, I was working in the post office doing the, um, just doing a Christmas casual job of sorting mail to school and needed money to be blood. Um, um, I, uh, listen, I had a post do, office job. Yeah, right. We've all been there. I think everyone just ends out doing that Christmas job in the post office at some point. Like, <laughs> getting that very... It's I think now it's turned into like the Christmas job at Amazon is probably what it is. Yeah, yeah the Amazon. Actually, that's true. I forgot the Amazon warehouse. But um, mm -hmm. what do you call it? We were there and we were playing this game where you would say a movie's name and you would... Um, then the last letter of the movie you said would have to be the first letter of the next movie you came up with. Um, okay. You were banned from naming like Iron Man, Spider Man, or anything like that because it just meant a lot of movies that began with AM, mm. which we were probably low on by the time the game was done after eight hours. But, um, yeah, I, I am without naming Yojimbo, which is a, a Kira Kurosawa samurai movie from the 1950s, which no one knew. But this actually led to a big joke in the post office of this movie, and people would try to find a way to reference it. Oh, I love it. And it was just most bizarre thing um what do you call it and one lot actually went and managed to um uh, totally um not definitely not off of some site and then cop put to watch the city and thoroughly enjoyed it actually um See, there you go you introduced oh, somebody yeah. to something they didn't know uh-huh um but yeah and i think i think that's one of the things about film though it's fairly universal <laughs> you know everyone can you know everyone can sit down and watch it and i mean like you know very few mediums where, you know, you can go to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away and then a week later go and have like a very intimate like character study of of someone. I think that that's, you know, a, a very unique thing to film is that it really is somewhat limitless that way. And I would say that, you know, in a way that like, you know, you'll find someone who's like highly dyslexic, isn't able to, you know, read very much, but they can watch movies. And likewise, you know, mm -hmm so many it's so accessible to so many people i would say it's probably one of the least snobby art forms that exists and that anyone can sit down and watch um any of those movies any movie and you know i would say that that's something that really is very good it's a very it's it really it's like it's kind of classless as an art form as anyone can get involved with it anyone mm -hmm. can anyone can make uh, make that film and you know and there's so many different aspects that can come into it, right? You know, it's it's visual, it's the audio, whether it's the music <laughs> soundtrack that you have, creating music, you know, there's there's so many different aspects of creativity that you can incorporate into filmmaking, like animation, right? For example, it, you know, you can you can get that sort of visual art going in there with right. film. There's there I, I do like the way that you look at it that it's limitless because of the amount of access you you can create so much with it whether it's with the actors or again you know the sound the environment you create you know and and anyone mm -hmm. can sort of immerse themselves in this new universe that you've created yeah uh, that that's yeah that would that would kind of be the most apt way to sum that up is that it kind of is just a little universe which anyone can yeah. go and visit and the handy thing with, like especially with streaming and even and with physical media is that you can just revisit it anytime you want and I mean, like, I think, you know, sometimes we talk about this kind of idea of the comfort show that people like mm -hmm. to watch. I think, I think that's really like people like to go back to, you know, the apartment with Fraser and Niles having an argument. Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, they like that. Uh, Fraser would probably be on my list of comfort shows. I was, yeah, I was going to ask, what are your comfort <laughs> shows, comfort movies? What do you, what do you oh. watch over and over again? Well, that's a good one. Uh, so Fraser would be one of those shows, definitely. I've probably seen all 11 seasons with two or three times. I am, although I'm a massive Star Wars fan, I'm probably a bigger Trekkie when it okay. comes to it. So as and my inner geek them is going to be published all over the internet here. But Sci-fi writer right here. No shame. No shame. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I love, I absolutely love the original series, which is what got me in the Trek. Um, but I really love Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, mm -hmm. Enterprise. Um, was less fussed on Discovery, the new one, 
Um, not because of the politics actually of it. I'm not one of those fans. I just didn't like a lot of thought decisions they made, and I thought skipping the three the year three thousand was dumb. And I'll happily argue that with anyone who's detracted because <laughs> I'm skipping nine hundred years into the yep. future. Please, um, everyone, get into the comments and start a Star Trek argument. I want to um, read it. Um, but loves Picard, season one, two, and three. Um, absolutely loves Strange New Worlds. Um, so uh, I, I really think that as a show, and even Discovery, despite not always liking plot decisions in the end, I do like the cast. I do like a lot of the one-off standalone episodes they do. I think just like as, I think that would kind of be one of my comfort shows. Fraser um, would be on the list. Um, this is one that um, is kind of old. It's kind of an old UK show, which I don't know if you would have seen in America, but Blackadder. Um, Blackadder. And oh, I've seen that... the ad for it. I've never seen it, though. Blackadder is... No, is that guy... Who's, who's the actor in that? Uh, the guy who what? played Mr. Bean, right? Mr. Yeah, Bean. Mr. Bean. Wow. Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, no, I have seen some of that. Yeah, I do know. I haven't seen all of it, but yeah, I'm familiar with what it is. Probably what he's most famous for is Mr. Bean, but I would mm-hmm. best role is probably Blackadder. And yeah. Blackadder is about the story of the Blackadder family starting from the 15th century. And then it's like it skips a few hundred years each time and you encounter a new Blackadder. Um, so we get Blackadder second, where he's in the court of Elizabeth II. Blackadder third, where he's in the Georgian court. And uh, George, I believe, and Blackadder goes forth where he is in the trenches of World War One, and it's pretty much how he is an incredibly intelligent witty man within society, but he's stuck having to deal with complete idiots all the time and them making decisions. Don't we all kind of have that feeling sometimes, right? Like, where, wh- why am I the most competent <laughs> person in the room? This is not fun for me. Right. There, there is the occasional moment where I do meet someone and I kind of go, I'm sure they have many admirable characteristics, but they do a very good job of keeping them hidden. And I, yeah. I, I do <laughs> but I, I don't thinking, know what they are. Yeah, thinking that from time to time, but Blackadder would definitely be a comfort show. And I mean, like, I'm trying to think, you know, um, there, there's probably several of us which are probably dropping out of my head right now. Mm. But um, yeah. Uh, I remember a I remember a big UK movie when I was a kid was a uh, Green Street Hooligans. Do you remember that one? It's it a- had uh, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood was in it. I was gonna say yeah. And uh, it was a it was a football movie. It was yeah. yeah. It was about West Ham Hammers. It was about the uh, the uh, football firms where I they know. would just fight after the I or whatever. Did you ever see that? Yeah, I have a funny feeling I saw this on late night TV about six, seven years ago, and I'm trying to remember it now because it sounds. It, 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 it was it Danny Boyle out of curiosity? Um, was the director, or was it? Oh, I'm, I I'm think not sure that, who the director. No, that sounds correct. Okay. I, I'd have to look it up to be sure, but that does sound correct. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. Actually, Danny Boyle, another fantastic filmmaker. I think what I love with yeah. Danny Boyle is that I think he's got a very good way of kind of capturing you know. He kind of does for the nitty gritty side of life very well with his work, um, with things. And I think he's very good at capturing normal people kind of going about their day and stuff like that. I think he's a phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, filmmaker. Um, I wouldn't say I would put on any of stuff's a comfort movie if I'm being, but, but yeah. On a train spot isn't really my comfort movie to cope with. But, yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> no. Very. So what else are you currently working on that you might want the audience to kind of be on the lookout for so we know that you you've got your project that is um that's done filming that you're going to be putting out what's what's upcoming yeah so i'm gonna be uh sending out the members of the belfast filmmaking club that want to work with me on this project a script for what i'll be doing in new york which is called an irish american horror story um which um has I'm wondering how much I can really say here because I don't want to really spoil. I'll be filming in June in New York. I know that. Okay. I'm kind of getting stuff sorted with that now. There's going to be a little bit of filming in Philadelphia and in Georgia as well for that, but mostly New York. And then we're going to be doing a second unit shoot, which will be filming in Ireland. I'm, I don't know how on a no budget film I've effectively got a second budget, a second unit, but there you go. Because... Substantial I was going to say, that's a lot of travel in the U.S. for you. I mean, New I, York and Philly are pretty, like, you can do the train both. thing and get back and forth, but popping down to Georgia, that's a... Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, I'm going to be, 
because that family in Philly, which is going to be kind of. I was just in Philadelphia this past week for work. It's so funny that that's where you're going. Lovely city. I had a good time. I know it's it's an absolutely lovely city. I was kind of joking to my family. I'm worried I'm going to damage the, the Liberty Bell even more. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Go out there. No, do it, please. I would love to see that news story and be like, hey, I'm on my podcast. Uh, look at look, look, look. Local man, local man, and um, sorry, local man causes international incident. I can see it now. Yeah, yeah right. Um, what do you call it? No, um, but um, I'm I'm really looking forward to Philly. Um, I do boxing as well as a kind of like uh, I'm not I'm not aiming to go for the heavyweight champion or anything. I should uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've been doing it recently just as a kind of thing. I had friends got me involved with it, and I told my boxing club that I'm gonna run up the rocky steps because um, you have to in New Jersey from the yeah. boots up and do the kind of iconic. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, you gotta do it. And you know that they, they they can post that on their social media. So yeah, but uh, we uh, but yeah, Philly. I've got family there, so I'm gonna be doing some filming there too. Um, and that's kind of just scenes of written into the movie. But ultimately, it's um ultimately the film being is gonna be uh, very successful. It's gonna be a very successful horror film. It's gonna have bits of it set in Ireland, which will become clear with the plot, but essentially it's kind of like a demonic figure has, a demonic figure from the 19th century has returned in the present day and has ended up in the United States due to reasons which become clear as the film goes on. So the script has been sent um, provisionally next Thursday. Um, so look, this Thursday coming to um, crew in, the Belfast, in Belfast that we're going to be filming with and we'll be doing a large chunk of the movie in Ireland. Um, so it's provisionally been sent to them them then. Um, although it is possible that could extend into early next uh, the following week, just depending on how, uh, how this final leg of progress with the script goes, just to make sure that it's something decent they're reading and there isn't like a glaring plot hole that's been omitted. And uh, from there, this will be kind of one that I'm doing and I'm very much looking forward to it. I do have some plans after that, we're having conversations with some people more established in the industry than myself, but really want to kind of just keep those close to my chest for now um, until I kind of know where I stand with them. But if it works out, I'll happily jump on the another session of the podcast and talk through. Yeah, for sure. Oh, we would, yeah, no, absolutely. That We would love yeah. to have you back to talk about all of it and, you know, how fabulously well they've all been doing at indie film festivals mm-hmm. and that you're up for an Oscar. Uh, I mean, that would be lovely. That would be lovely. I'm not going to lie. We'll uh, put it out into the universe for you. And you can come back on the podcast and be our, our big celebrity guest that would come on. That would be great. <laughs> for sure. Uh, look, if I, I look, if I do get invited to the Oscars, I'll try to score you tickets for the Oscars after the party, which I've heard is wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you call it? I've heard it's wild. Um, I don't know. I've never attended it myself. But um, <laughs> well, they want me to go. I'm, I'm very, I'm very, yeah, I don't know who the Oscars uh, committee are this year but i'll happily attend if you want so yeah bring us yeah. bring us all in we'll have a party time it'll be great <laughs> for sure we'll bring in some of the new blood that is much needed in hollywood some of the new more interesting things that are happening right yeah well i i mean with current hollywood one of the things i do think i mean i'm very glad you know oppenheimer and barbie which you know despite those films having to be honest very little in common with each other um and a meme trend somehow made them both make even more money than they were expecting to make which i find fascinating but that's mm-hmm. a human psychology story which is way beyond my knowledge of basic psychology but um, <laughs> right. they are encouraging films and I, but I think a lot of people are going cinema is back and i am a little worried that you know when it comes down oppenheimer was a film made by an already very established filmmaker at the top of his career about probably one of the most important figures in the 20th century so this idea, it was a kind of cinema is back movie. I do call in question and Barbie likewise, because you know, Barbie, I, I would challenge you to name anyone in the world who's never heard of Barbie. I just don't think that person exists. Um, yeah. And um, was a very established, it was a very established just in the lead role, mm-hmm. a very established director as well. So these were still, this wasn't like the kind of goodwill hunting story with Matt Damon. Where yeah. Not being mm-hmm. Something new. It's it's very different, or it's not really even the kind of Spielberg Dawes story. So I um I think that they're very encouraging, but I'm erring on the side of caution that we're suddenly like in this place where Hollywood is suddenly kind of embracing new talent in the way it did with the movie brats of the seventies. 
um, with your kind of Lucases, your Francis Ford Coppola's, Garcia'sy, where kind of you know these guys got low budget mm -hmm. films, gradually higher higher budgets. I'm not sure we're back in that position yet, but I do think that we're suddenly that we are moving away from every film has to be part of a massive cinematic universe. There's mm -hmm. never sequels. Um, merchandising is 100% central to the film. I mean, I enjoy a bit of merchandise now. I bought Star Wars toys when I was a kid. Like, you know, what Right. It's not like it's not yeah. fun. And it's not like we don't love, you know, the commercialism aspects aren't. It's like we all buy the stuff, right? We do. It's like. But, so but, but you still want something. Again, Barbie's been around forever and ever, right? It, 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 yeah. We still want to see something new, something fresh, something. Well, I think an example of that is. Uh... Have you seen the series Primal? Primal, I have not. It's I, I was telling Haley about it. It's, yeah. I think it was on HBO. It's on one of the streaming services. But it's you can tell it was probably just an independent idea, and then they kind of just made it, sold it to a streaming service. But um, it's basically like a caveman and like a dinosaur. Basically, it's animated, but it's it's a mature animated like a series. And it's all, if there's no dialogue, it's all just emotion and like how the, how the music makes the, uh, like the Green, scene kind the of feel like, yeah. Yep. And though, but it's all just, uh, and it's, it's a mature, like, you know, there's it's a not a fighting. kid's animation. It's, yeah. it's an, obviously an adult. It's basically, animation. it's basically a story about his daughter hitting up and him trying to find her, but there's no dialogue. There's no, um, nothing that tells you what he's saying or what he's trying to admit. It's just emotion and seeing like music and kind of like light changes that, and stuff like that, that. It's really interesting. That fascinates me. And I like that because without dialogue, you kind of have to be zoned in on the screen and watching the animation. Right. And yeah, I, I, as a viewer of, of, TV and movies and stuff like I do like I'll put something on and, and maybe be listening to it and doing other things right mm -hmm. but that's kind of an interesting like because in animation if if you're listening and not watching that's a lot of work somebody put into animating yeah. that <laughs> that you're it's missing just, it's more of an idea that on paper it sounds like it's gonna go nowhere and it was one of the most interesting series I've seen before. it was just really cool like different me of I don't know what either of you know what hammer horror at all yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The old Hammer Horror stuff, yeah. Yeah, Hammer Horror. B-Horror movies, yeah. But they made a movie in the mid-60s with uh, Ray Harryhausen as the animator and Raquel Welsh was the star of the film and it's called One Million Years BC. And a very similar concept of a caveman who is essentially ostracized from his tribe and has to travel out into the wilderness where, you know, he's attacked by dinosaurs and people and various mm -hmm. different things to which he then, what he arrives at the shore of the sea and then he's adopted by another tribe. And then he's also made leave them and she's fallen in love with him. And they kind of go into the sort of into the wild together and then sort of you know, the dinosaurs are wiped out by a volcano and why man living, is living alongside them is a complete mystery to me. And, Paleontologists or but it's creating another universe, right? They got to have that suspension of disbelief when you're watching a movie. Sometimes I think I think so, yeah. But it sounds very akin to that movie, um, which I recommend. I really recommend you check out if you get a chance. But I've actually just looked up Primal on my IMDb, and I mean, like anything with dinosaurs. And I mean, I've always said this here: you can't make movies unless you love dinosaurs. It's just a weird yeah. look. <laughs> <laughs> do maintain exists and i mean like even with special effects technology you look at it each time it's always a dinosaur movie where that next big advancement comes along you know you've kind of got mm -hmm. the these you've got a uh, gertie the dinosaur the one done in 1925 a very simple animation you have um you've got the uh obviously lost world with Wilson o'brien then he tops it again with king Kong. you have the ray harryhausen dinosaur movies then you have mm -hmm. felt go motion with prehistoric beasts for the first time um, and he does it in Dinosaurs 84 documentary then Jurassic Park comes along so yep. every time special effects technology gets advanced just seems to me like those old um, those old lizards seem to somehow do it so 
I can't personally wait for the fully robotic ones that we're going to have in 30 years' time, whenever the next big uh, dinosaur. Oh, yeah. I love that idea. I am so into like the AI and robotics and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, fascinated by all of it. Like, oh my God, make a dinosaur movie with a whole bunch of robot dinosaurs. I will absolutely watch it. <laughs> Uh, that, well, that's the dream long term would be to do that film. <laughs> but uh, that might be slightly out of my budget for now. Yeah. Well, you know what? Just years on this it, yeah. right. We'll work on it. We'll get it rolling. Yeah. We'll get some well, AI people onto the podcast and get talking to them and and be like, hey, you should like you know team up with our buddy and make a movie. It'll be great. I've just got this. I've got this horrible image after the Liberty Bell disaster. We're just seeing over headlines. <laughs> This is AI killer dinosaurs on time. <laughs> just terrorizing Philadelphia with all right. kinds of like the Boston dynamics. I, I you know, know dinosaurs have come over. I've got this horrible image. I'm going to get to Philadelphia, and they're like, "Nope, I'm not have Right. <laughs> Sorry, we saw you on a podcast, and we already know you're going to try to trash our Liberty Bell and destroy the city with a bunch of animatronic dinosaurs. Right. So. Your passport has been revoked. You're no longer allowed right. in America. Dinosaurs in the background, you holding a cheesesteak, just kicking the Liberty Bell. No, uh, I know. I'll probably <laughs> in the Irish. I'll be playing the Irish card as as much as I can if that happens. So yeah, just do it the, on St. Patty's Day. No, one I was going to say if you just do it on St. Patty's Day and say that it was just a dr- it was a it. drunken adventure, then everybody will be fine with it. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. Uh. What do you call it? No. Well. Um, fingers, fingers, fingers crossed. I'll not be in, in America till June, sadly. So I don't know if I'll no. be dressed up and like make it look like I thought it was St. Patrick's Day. But um, you could. That, that might be the plan. So yeah, I'll have, I will be in Ireland for St. Patrick's Day. Um, which is um, which is just uh, just find make a fake prop Liberty Bell that you can like smash with a sledgehammer. You, you know. And and there you go. You can that'll be your just, promo. Just coming, put it as a fold in with to Philadelphia. Yeah, put it as a fold up in your passport. <laughs> they open it up. Whoa, what's this? There it <laughs> is. Image of walking for you. Yes, I'm a fish. All right. Oh no, going. It's um. Uh, they're just like bewildered faces. <laughs> up, never up. Or, I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We do want to be respectful of your time. So do tell the audience where they can find you if they want to look for for Coins and Serpent Productions and all of your films. And we'll yep. definitely link it below. But tell everyone where to come and find you and follow what you're, work, what you're working on. Yes. So it's uh, Coins and Serpent Productions. Uh, you can find it on YouTube, our channel, where we've currently got one feature film, one short, um, one trailer for a feature film, which should be released soon, available to see. Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn, just Oaken McSparren, um, which Haley and Johnny have informed me that they will be uh, sharing links for as mm-hmm. well. Um, mm-hmm. If there's anyone wants to get in touch with me as well, I can an email address. Um, I can pass on an email address to them because I'm always game to work with creatives from all over the world and hear your ideas and try to get something made. And uh, fingers crossed, can continue making films. And I look forward to ch- chatting to Haley and Johnny again. For sure. Oh, absolutely. We will definitely have you yeah. back. It'll, I can't wait to hear about your trip to America and what kind oh, of trouble you fun. So oh. we're going to have to do, when you're done filming the sec, this this film you're working on, you're going to have to come in and do it like a check-in with us and let us know how it all went. Because I want to uh-huh. hear about all the trouble you get into. Whereabouts in America are you guys based? It's curiosity. We're, uh, we're in the Dakotas. I'm in South Dakota. He's in North Dakota. So we're oh, in the mid- Midwest. Yeah. I was gonna say, there was. I was going to say if there was a kind of meeting point, I probably could just do it in person with the two of you. But I don't know if that would be practical in America. You know what? Who knows? We're, let's, let's... we're a ways away from Billy. I was gonna. Say, yeah, we're kind of a big. We're. A I live in. Uh, I live in Fargo. Yeah, I could kind of jump in the car and be down to Dublin about an hour, an hour and a half. If I'm an hour and a half, if I'm uh, driving, I don't think I quite do that across the Midwest. But yeah, yeah. No. It's a it's a it's a few <laughs> days kind of drive situation. Bit of skiing all beyond what um beyond Ireland. But look, guys, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yes, been- absolutely. Uh-huh. Thank you, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to see more of your work. And again, just love that you are DIY doing it on the low budget and creating. And you know, don't let don't let the budget situation stop you from making things right. No, 100%. That's what I would say to everyone is just like, you know, we're very blessed that we do live in the modern era where you can just make a film for nothing. 
And I think that's just like something that should be encouraged. And like, as I said, like I said earlier, that sometimes we have your creativity limited or what you can do limited. That in a weird way means you come up with the best workarounds around that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we really, um, that's something that I'm really trying to do with films at the minute. I love it. Yeah. I think it's very true, right? Like, I, I, I'm not sure what the saying is that I'm trying to come up with in my mind, but it is something like, um, I don't know. It's like limitation is the mother of creativity, or something like that. There's some something along those lines, right? Like it, when you're put into a back into a corner, you got to come up with some really clever stuff to get out of it. And I think that's you know, I, kudos to you that you are there and doing it. For sure. Well, thank you, but guys, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Absolutely, it's been fun. It's it's been great. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will definitely bring you back again to check in on what else you're working on. Thanks so much. No worries. Look, all the best, guys, and hope you have a, all the best, guys, and hope you have a great day. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening, y'all. I've been Haley. And I've been Johnny. And this has been. Johnny, Johnny Haley, Haley, Day, Day of One. One. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash Johnny Haley D-O-F, and we're Johnny Haley D-O-F on Instagram and at gmail.com. Send us your hate mail. We'll read it out loud on the podcast, won't we, Johnny? For sure. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Peace out, y'all. Later.